Welcome to our eschatology series. If you've been following us, you know that we're working to unfold the power of ancient prophecies. Today we're on number 55 in our series. It's called the Battle of Blood. Today we're going to be talking about the first war that takes place at the end of the Great Tribulation of the Antichrist seven-year reign. Well, it's time for the sickle. Our scripture today out of Revelation 14, 14 through 20, we're going to be talking about how God reveals to the people, us, the readers of Revelation, that in a white cloud there is one who is like the Son of Man, having a golden crown on his head and a sharp sickle in his hand. Well, we need to talk about the details of that sickle, which is the revelation symbol of this war that we're going to be discussing. We're also going to be talking about the Revelation chapter 6, verses 9 through 11, how the martyrs were crying out for revenge. The revenge spoken to the martyrs in chapter 6. We'll also talk about the grapes of wrath. There's two kinds of vines. One is a replica by the Antichrist, and the other one is the true vine. And of course, that's the life of Jesus Christ. We'll spend a little time talking about the real deal Jerusalem, how important it is to keep our eyes focused on the Middle East and what happens to Israel. Because it all began in the Middle East, and it certainly will end in the Middle East. We can't let this particular teaching go without talking about how wrong the Muslims are about claiming their little rock under the dome of the rock. Stay with us as we discuss these details and many others as we discuss the battle of blood. Let's get started.
Number 55 in our eschatology series, Unfolding the Power of Prophecy. Today's title is called The Battle of Blood. Let's take a look at our scripture for today. That's out of Revelation chapter 14, verses 14 through 20. And it says, Then I looked, and behold, a white cloud, and sitting on the cloud was one, like the Son of Man having a golden crown on his head and a sharp sickle in his hand. And another angel came out of the temple, crying out with a loud voice to him who sat on the cloud, Put in your sickle and reap, for the hour to reap has come, because the harvest of the earth is ripe. Then he who sat on the cloud swung his sickle over the earth, and the earth was reaped, And another angel came out of the temple, which is in heaven, and he also had a sharp sickle. Then another angel, the one who has power over fire, came out from the altar. And he called with a loud voice to him who had the sharp sickle, and gathered the clusters from the vine of the earth, because her grapes are ripe. So the angel swung his sickle to the earth, and gathered the clusters from the vine of the earth, and threw them into the great wine press of the wrath of God. And the wine press was trodden outside the city, and blood came out of the wine press up to the horse's bridles for a distance of two hundred miles. Let's review the time for the sickle. 
This battle has been and continues to be argued over since the day of John's writings. The battle described here is a separate battle from Gog and Magog battle, which is described in Revelation 20, verses 8 through 9. This particular battle is fought at the closure of the Great Tribulation. That's the seven-year reign of the Antichrist. Gog and Magog's battle will be fought at the close of the 1,000-year reign of Christ. Many confuse the two. The battle is described to us here as a bloodbath. The battle in chapter 20 is a battle of fire, which results in the lake of fire. So here in verse 14 we see the Son of Man crowned with the crown of life, fully dressed for battle. Now in Acts 1, verses 1 through 9, this is the account of what was predestined. Jesus ascended in a cloud with a prophecy of him returning in like manner. This is the actual eyewitness account by his disciples, if you remember. The two men from heaven appeared and said to them, This same Jesus which is taken up from you into heaven shall come in like manner on a cloud as you have seen him go into heaven. You can read more about that in Acts chapter 1 verses 10 and 11, but we find the same admission in Luke 21:27. And it says this, Then shall they see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. He is not describing the rapture of the bride. The rapture was obviously much earlier according to Revelation 4, 1 through 3. There's no mistaking or speculation, for we know that our groom's identity, who is coming in on a cloud, his own personal chariot, he will be coming to judge the living and the dead, according to 2 Timothy 4, 1. He is the one who will clear the earth of all of the demonic infestations sown by Satan and his followers. He will destroy the Antichrist by the light of the gospel. You can read more about that in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 8. Now picture this. On this day, the earth's masses will look up into the sky and see a magnificent cloud. Standing on that cloud will be the Lamb of God, dressed as a King of kings and Lord of lords. What a sight that will be. Daniel even spoke of it. I saw in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man came with the clouds of heaven and came to the Ancient of Days, and there was given him dominion and glory and a kingdom. That's Daniel 7, verses 13 and 14. He is coming to judge the nations of the entire world. More said about that in Matthew chapter 25, verses 31 through 32. Now let's take a look at that sharp sickle. Keep in mind he is given or equipped with a very sharp sickle. 
He's coming in judgment to reap the harvest of the earth. The end road of sin has finally arrived. It is time to reap what you have sown. Earlier, when Jesus greeted his bride in the air through the rapture, each was ushered in with a trumpet. This event is his second coming, to separate the tares from the wheat, which separates the 144,000 pure bloodline Jews from the depraved world. That will take a blood-spilling battle to accomplish rivers of blood. The indwelled Christians will be gone, leaving the 144,000. Only the tares or the unsaved people will need to be concerned. The Father is bringing an end to the earth's ungodliness and, thankfully, the reign of the Antichrist. The harvest process will be so painful, the acts of Jesus will cause men to bite their tongues for pain. Also during this time, the great whore sitting on the beast is stripped of pride and power. She is filled with torment, burning, sorrow, and misery. Verse 17 shows us another angel appearing out of the temple, which is in heaven. He also has a sharp sickle. Then we read in verse 18, yet another angel appears, coming from the altar of God with fire in hand. The angel cries out, saying, Put in your sharp sickle and gather the clusters from the vine of the earth, because her grapes are ripe. That's right from Revelation fourteen eighteen. In total, there are six angels mentioned in this chapter. Six is man's number. No coincidence there. These six angels are commissioned with the job of bringing man's affairs to an end, as well as the activities of the triune of Satan. Of course, that's Satan himself, the beast, and the false prophet. Let's review those martyrs that were crying out. Remember in Revelation 6, 9 through 11, the martyrs were crying out, How long, O Lord? Well, at this time, they are assured by the Lord that his anger would indeed be poured out. But they were instructed to be still and wait on him. Now's the time. The fruit, which is the 144,000 pure bloodline Jews of Israel, of God's vine, Jesus is the first to be harvested. A promise made as far back as Isaiah chapter 5 verses 2 through 4. In Jeremiah, we learn that God's divine vine turned into a degenerate plant of a strange vine. Therefore, Israel was set aside by God to be replaced by the true vine, that of Jesus Christ. On his own, he produces the only fruit that will be accepted by his Father that is stated literally in John chapter 15, verses 1 through 10. This is the evidence of true Christianity, those who were truly indwelt by the Spirit of the living God, those grapes that come into the fullness only through the true vine. All others will soon be gathered and tossed into the fire. 
There are many replicas of Christianity that produce fruit. It is not the fruit of righteousness. It is the fruit of the dead formed through self-made Judaism. True spirituality is easily replicated. The grapes look the same. They all come from a vine, but the taste is horrifically different. The grapes of wrath are not the fruit being addressed by this angel and are not pleasing to the Lord's taste. True vine believers are the result of true discipleship, which are a result of true indwelt Christianity. But we need to take a look at those grapes of wrath for a moment. The Antichrist has replicated the vine, and he too has followers who produce grapes, grapes of wrath. The enemy's grapes are certainly counterfeit from a counterfeit vine that bears wild grapes mentioned in Isaiah. Isaiah 5 verses 2 through 4 says, He dug it all around, removed its stones, and planted it with the choicest vine. But he built a tower in the middle of it and also hewed out a wine vat in it. Then he expected it to produce good grapes, but it produced only worthless ones. And now, O inhabitants of Jerusalem and men of Judah, judge between me and my vineyard. What more was there to do for my vineyard that I have done for it? When I expected it to produce good grapes, did it produce worthless ones? Don't be misinformed. The tares or weeds will be gathered as prophecy has predicted it, according to Matthew 13, verses 40 through 42. The branches that do not bear the fruit of God's righteousness will be burned, according to John 15, 6. That will be classified as the day of vengeance of our God. This is the process the angel thrusting his sickle is all about, to gather the harvest, separating the tares, the unsaved, from the wheat, the 144,000 pure bloodline Jews, or the righteous grapes from the righteous vine, and tossed these fake branches into the pit of hell. This is what is being spoken of when he talks about tossing them into the wine press of the wrath of God. This process will not be as simple as a clean sweep. This action comes with much blood spilt into humanity's streets. Scripture says that there will be so much blood spilled that the blood will rise to the bridles of the horses. And this blood will run 200 miles in length. Folks, that is a lot of spilt blood. Let's review how Jerusalem is the real deal. The Jerusalem being spoken of here is the authentic Israel that has been referenced throughout the entire Bible. Not the symbolic Jerusalem or church many Reconstructionists talk about today. The Masons believe it is Washington, D.C. The emergent church believe it is in the hearts of quote-unquote Christians. And many other cults have believed it to be stranger places like Waco, Texas. But they're all wrong. The Valley stated 
is the Valley of Armageddon, just a little north of the historic Jerusalem. In this place, Lord will unleash his wrath on the ever-so-stubborn rebels that continuously rise against the mighty hand of God. What a battle this will be! What a river this will be! Blood six feet deep and two hundred miles long. It doesn't get any more traumatic than that. If you've never seen the scale of these dimensions on a map, I challenge you to do so. You'll be amazed as to how much God will spill emergent blood upon the earth. Seriously, get your compass out. Mark the measurement on the mileage sector. Place the compass point in the center of the Valley of Armageddon and measure out 10 by 200 miles. This will help you gain a perspective of the level of wrath delivered on the day of vengeance of our God. This is the horrific battle described in Revelation 16, verse 14, and then again in chapter 19, verse 19. These events are all based upon the uprising that comes out of Palestine. Palestine has always been the center of the earth for rebels without a cause. Jerusalem has not only been the center of righteousness of God, it is the center of the universe, at least as humans know it today. I believe the tree of life stood on the hill during the days of the Garden of Eden, right there underneath that dome of the rock. It is why God comes back to set up his throne on the hill that has always hosted the Holy of Holies. The Muslim Dome of the Rock presently covers it. The continuous Muslim-Jewish conflict we see in the news is a result of this hill. It always has been and always will be and continue to be until the day of reckoning. Simple fact, Muslims are wrong. The Muslims believe their Holy of Holies is located on this very spot. They believe the rock that this building protects and covers is the rock that Muhammad stood as he was ascending into heaven. Wishful thinking. Even their historians questioned the validity of Muhammad's caliph's claim. One thing they do all agree on is that they must have Jerusalem as their own. The Muslims believe it is rightfully theirs, and they will fight for it until their version of the day of vengeance of God is complete. Yes, they too believe in this final battle. It is in their prophecies as well. Furthermore, they make the assumptive claim that the Jews stole it from them years ago. They state that the Jews replicated the Koran by coming up with their version of God's word. I think it's backwards. With both parties claiming ownership of this city, Father Abraham and their version of God's word, each side knows that it will not be settled until the great battle is won. This is that battle. It is the primary reason why peace talks never work for either side. Both know their scriptures well and know the conflict would only be settled in this final battle, 
which that ultimate battle will be the battle of Armageddon. As we read in our passage, God is about to oblige them. In our conclusion, the world, the Jewish people, the Muslims, Satan, and God himself all have their eyes on the Middle East. Primarily the land stretched between Palestine and Israel. In the end, all nations will side with the Palestinians and leave Israel to fend for herself. It provokes God to come and defend his people and the land that he has cherished as his own since the day of creation. The Jewish people have always been hated by the people in the world. Outside of the obvious, the reason is their claim to be God's only chosen children and their unwillingness to share the Holy Land with the world has created animosity throughout the world. I cannot tell you how many battles have been fought over this hill. There are too many to count, but I can tell you they are right. They may be a hard-headed bunch of people, but they are correct in keeping up with the good fight. This hill rightfully belongs to the chosen people of God, not the Muslims. The Jewish descendants of Abraham are to receive the full inheritance of this land as pure bloodline Jews. Once the superpowers of our earth turn their backs on Israel, you can start watching the eastern sky for the great white cloud. Even though the raptured Christians will be long gone before that day. Coming up next in number 56, we're going to be talking about the seven plagues and those seven angels. We'll be speaking out of Revelation chapter 15, 1 through 8. This chapter is rather short, but it's long in importance. Within this chapter, and mighty reveal, we find seven angels who have the seven last plagues. John observes each of these angels holding bowls of wrath. Now, many people view all these symbols that we find in the book of Revelation as symbols. They simply cannot get past them. We're going to talk about the Hebrew word pictures connected with bowls, plagues, and other things and symbols that seem to keep popping up in the book of Revelation. We hope that you continue to join us as we unfold the ancient prophecies, not only contained in the book of Revelation, but also contained throughout the entire Bible. We thank you for joining us today. We're excited to discuss the events that are coming up in our next teaching series. Until next time.